Um, If you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 3 tonight. Galatians chapter 3. I love preaching after uh, testimonies. It's it's always so encouraging to hear um, how the Lord is active um, among us and in transforming us and drawing us closer to himself and, uh, and just to see that embodied right in front of us to declare his, his good work among us is a, is a wonderful thing. So thank you again. Uh, Galatians chapter 3. We're continuing our study of Exodus. Obviously we are not in the book of Exodus right now. We'll get there. Uh, trust me. I'm Jeff, by the way. Don't just trust me because I have a microphone. My name's Jeff. I'm the associate pastor here. It's great to meet you. Uh, We'll be in uh, Galatians chapter 3, starting with verse 10. And let us listen carefully, for this is God's word. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written... Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's pray. Oh God, help us in our weakness to believe. Help us to hear your word, to receive it. Help us to be honest with ourselves and one another tonight. Give us the strength to look at your law, which is a mirror that can show us things we don't want to see but need to. Give us the strength to look And then give us the strength to look to Christ, our only hope, our Redeemer, and our King. We pray these things in his name. Amen. So last week, uh, we, we looked at when Israel arrived at Sinai and Moses went up and received the commandments of God. And Joel uh, stressed last week that we really need to keep the order of events in mind. We, we, we should keep the order of events correct. That God had rescued Israel out of their slavery in Egypt. He had brought them into the wilderness. He had delivered them, and then he was giving them the law. And it's important for us to see the progression and, and tonight, what I want to do is kind of build off of that and continue that conversation and to really zero in on, on kind of two areas, the, to see how the Ten Commandments fit into the law of God, to see where they, where they fit, their place within the law, and then for us to consider what does it mean to be Christians and relate to the law? 
What, what does a Christian have to do with the Ten Commandments? What does Birmingham have to do with Sinai? What is this connection now? And so I think a good place for us to begin to kind of chart our path together is to ask this question. What do you think of when you hear the word law? When you hear law, what do you think about? See, it can kind of be like the, the word gospel. When, when, we hear, when we hear gospel, it's, it's said around churches a lot in Christian circles, blogs, books, events, all of those things. We hear gospel a whole lot, and then it's, but it can be really tricky to nail down a definition. And so what we do with a lot of terms, and, and we do this in all areas of life, where we have so much information coming in that we just build kind of a sense glossary of terms. What we have a feeling of what different things mean so we can just keep going to the next thing. And so when you hear law, what is that sense definition? What's, what's that feeling definition that you have? Is it good? Because I would guess probably not. If you're anything like me, when you hear law, you think more of bad things. You think about this burden of the law. You think about rules and restrictions, failure, fear, consequences, maybe an angry God, judgment, hell, destruction. Which might be why there was some tension when you, perhaps last week, when you heard Joel say that it is God's grace that is the foundation of the law. Because when I hear that, something bows up and says, but how can that be? How can that be? And so like any time when we have God's word in front of us and our sense definition coming forward and, and they don't square, we have to humbly come before God's word and ask that his spirit would change our hearts and our minds. And so what do we mean when we say law? Well, the book of the law has 613 commandments. Some of you are already wondering how I'm going to make it through 10 tonight. Um, we're not going to go through all 613, I promise. Uh, but we're going to go through 10. But 613 commandments. This, within this, we have the ceremonial law. We have the moral law. We have the civil law. Now, the scriptures don't break those categories down explicitly. It's a, it's a traditional way of reading the law. And it's helpful for us to think about these different categories. For one, the ceremonial law. These laws include sacrifices for sin, the, the rules for the royal priesthood, the cleanliness codes, you know, uh, what foods you can eat, the kinds of clothing you can wear, how to do certain ceremonial washing, the things that you can touch and not touch. Those clean, unclean rules are found there in the ceremonial law. Also, all those things about, you know, when it comes to the foods and the kinds of things that you can eat, what makes you clean, what makes you unclean, and how you approach God in that. That's the ceremonial law. The civil law, this is where uh, the nation of Israel is given laws by which they govern themselves. They, they are a, a nation at this point, and they are coming up with their rules and their penalties. And so all of those are being established in the civil law, uh, particularly those consequences for breaking the moral law. And then the moral law, this is, this is how to live righteously. The moral codes about faithfulness and honesty are all found there in the moral law. And within these 613 laws, the Ten Commandments sit at the heart. They are the core of the law. And they are presented as these ten words, these ten sayings. And they mirror 
the ten words, ten sayings of creation. And that would have been recognizable to the first hearers uh, of of the the commands. They, They would have remembered these creation words of God creating all things seen and unseen. And it's helpful for us to keep that creation in mind, that creation story and those creation words in mind. It's helpful for us really on two points. One, it's helpful because God is establishing a people. He's creating a people. Here again, God is creating and what he's creating is Israel. He's creating his people with these words. And secondly, God is reminding his people that he is their creator. So one, he's creating a people, and two, he's calling them back to all the things seen and unseen, all of creation. I am the maker. Because when law comes, when when these rules come down, they need to come from authority, right? I mean, if somebody's going to come in and impose some kinds of rule or restriction on you, the first thing you're going to say is, what gives you the right? Like, who, who, who do you think you are? <laughs> what gives you the right? Like, we ask these kinds of questions. And he is calling them back to creation. It's important for us to keep that in mind. Now, it's also help for us, helpful for us to remember that God did not give the law to superpower Israel so they could rule outsiders and other nations. No, they did not receive it to force others into morality or right living. The law was given to regulate covenant life with God. These words are marriage vows of Israel and her God. These laws were given to the people because they were already God's people. And strangers and foreigners were invited in. They were welcome. They could become a part of this nation. They they could join in. But what they were joining was an exclusive covenant. See, this law reminds Israel that God is her creator. And those who receive God's law are creatures. We don't like to think about being creatures. Creatures are creatures, we're a people, right? We like, we like those kinds of distinctions. But, but God is creator and we are creatures. And God has every right as creator to command and judge as he wills. And that can be a hard, hard truth to believe. Because the consequences are great. But what we have to keep in mind is that the law is not cruel. It is not cruel. The law is rooted, as we talked about last week, it's rooted in grace and it is rooted in love. So let's turn our attention now to the Ten Commandments and see how they are rooted in this grace and this love of God. I have there a, a translation which, uh, which tries to kind of zone in on what those sayings were, the rhythm of Uh, the commandment sayings, these ten sayings. And so let's look at them in your worship guide together. The first command. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods beside me. You shall make no carved likeness. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. 
Remember the Sabbath day to hallow it. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your fellow man. And you shall not covet. So the first four laws are regulations concerning our relationship with our Creator. And then the following six laws are regulations concerning our relationship with other creatures, our neighbor. And in one through four, God is outlining that He alone is God and that eternally nothing will succeed him in being the supreme authority. Nothing will come before him, nothing will come beside him, nothing will come after him. He is eternally supreme. He is Yahweh, and nothing will distract from his supremacy, especially not a carved idol. You see, God made the stone, God made the gold and the wood, and he even made the craftsman who would carve out the idol. He made all of these things, and nothing in all of creation could compare to the creator. He is over every realm, the heavens, the earth, the sea, and because he is over all, he must be revered. The people of God must bear this awe. See, when when the law was being given and and the the mountain was thundering with lightning and and clouds and and all of this happening around, and it struck a fear in the people, and that was on purpose. Uh, we, We have to remember that we are creatures. We have to remember that we are dealing with our creator. So whether that's in in exasperation or frustration or prayer, we must not take the name of God for granted. It shouldn't pass our lips carelessly, whether that's in a curse or in a prayer, not to be taken lightly. I've heard uh, Dr. Gerald Bray, a professor at Beeson Divinity School, he said this, yes, we have friendship with God, but we are not equals with God. He is our maker, and we must remember who he is. Yes, we have friendship, but we are not equals. And we have to keep this in mind, and God has laid out here in his commandments a way to remember, a way to remember. And in that remembering, we remember all that he created And therefore, we rest on the Sabbath. Joe will be teaching on that uh, next week in greater detail. Uh, Plus, I have six more commandments in the New Testament to reckon with, so we're going to keep moving. All right, so the sixth commandment on. These are regulations concerning our relationship with other creatures, our relationship with one another, our neighbors. And here, God is outlining how we regard and interact with one another. Begins with honoring mothers and fathers. Honoring forebears is a critical part for the people of God because, because it takes us back to the beginning of our life. It, it takes us back to that place where we were helpless and in need. I mean, have you ever seen a baby? They're, they're completely helpless. It's an easy thing to observe. 
And God is taking us back to this place to say, remember where you came from and show honor. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy. And for some of you, it is extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult to show honor to someone who has not earned honor. It's very hard. We talked about that this past summer when we were talking about governments and rulers and authorities and all those different things. And now taking it into uh, the home with parents, it's not easy. Because people aren't easy. And whether you believe it or not, you are not easy. And that's why God is giving us these commands of how to treat one another. Because in doing so, we will set ourselves apart as the people of God to show honor where honor perhaps is not earned. And this sets a tone for the last half of the commandments. They aren't easy either. These shall nots, thou shall not murder, thou shall not commit adultery, thou shall not steal, which really are all violations of covenant. Don't take what's not yours. You don't take a life that's not yours. You don't take a spouse that's not yours. You don't take someone else's possession that's not yours. You don't take it. And don't bear false witness. Don't covet. And here, God is talking about how we need to learn to be honest, to not take advantage of people, not to long what belongs to someone else. And these regulations, they prohibit deceitfulness and greed. They teach us to be content with what God has given us and to trust him as creator and provider. Now these regulations are not simply for establishing order, although they do that. They do establish order. But they establish a lifestyle that reminds the people of God who they are in the sight of God, and that is holy, set apart. These first four regulations concern our relationship with God. The the final six are relationship with our neighbor, and this God-neighbor breakdown of the Ten Commandments is, uh, is actually taught by Jesus uh, in, as recorded in Matthew 22 and Mark 12. It comes up in a time when Jesus is approached by a Pharisee, a lawyer. You know the type. Uh, and, and so he comes up and, and he's got a lot of laws to remember. You, you not only have what's written down in the book of the law, you have, you have all these oral laws, uh, all these laws that are being uh, that are being uh, used in, in these legal times and, and the lawyers, you know, he has all these things to keep up with and so he has this clever question, what is the greatest commandment? And let me read to you from Matthew 22. The lawyer says this, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. I like that he went for two. He gets asked for one, he goes for two. Uh, And the second is like it, verse 39. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. See, Jesus breaks down the law and the prophets into these same two categories outlined in the Ten Commandments. Loving God and loving our neighbor. And again, the law is not to be seen as these rules of how to be perfect, but living out life as God's people. God has called his people to be a loving people. And that love is expressed in obedience to him. That is what we mean when we say law.
but. Israel did not keep the law. No one did. They said, everything that you have commanded, O God, we will do. And the blood gets sprinkled all over the place. And then they don't do it. So why didn't that just end? Like day one, we're going to do everything that you commanded. All right. You know, like a game of quiet mouse. Like the first peep and the game's over. Like why didn't that happen? Someone sins. And they're like, all right, well, I'm going to go see if I can find some other slaves to kind of bring out into the wilderness and see if we can really get this right. No, that's not what happens. Because from the start, a portion of the law was dedicated to this need. You see, within the ceremonial law, there was the sacrificial system. The law is a mirror that teaches us about God's faithfulness and our own unfaithfulness. And God was not surprised when Israel failed to keep everything he had commanded. It's what he declared, but he was not surprised when they failed. Which is why he included in the law this provision for atonement. And these provisions did not lessen the law by no means. It did not make obedience less required. It did not make his commandments somehow less serious. But sacrifice was the only way that God's people could be in this right standing, justified with him due to their disobedience, their breaking of the commandments. And this sacrificial system was put into place by God to remind Israel of the law, their sin, and his great grace. So key, key thing here. Israel was not relying on works of the law for their salvation. They were relying on God. They weren't relying on the works of the law to somehow be right with God. They were relying on God. So, this confident reliance is called faith. And the people of God have always been justified by faith, not works. Romans chapter 3, Paul looks at this issue, and we'll look at a few different verses here, but one thing that he says in verse 28 is, for we hold that no one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Let me read it again. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. It is not from the works of our hands that somehow we earn enough of God's attention and affection for him to save us. It wasn't true for Israel. It's not true for us. But this is the deceit that plagues us. It plagues our hearts and it plagues our minds. And if it's not trying to get a stronghold on some part of your life right now, then I would encourage you to take a breath, open your eyes, and be honest with your life. Because this creeps in to every believer. That we would start to think that the only way that God will love us and accept us is if we do enough for him. And it's never been true and it never will be true. Because we can't do enough. But he has provided this way for Israel and he did this to lead us to Jesus. In Romans chapter 3, Paul says that God was passing over these sins in his divine forbearance. He was showing a patience to Israel. This whole sacrificial system was God's patience on display. Why did he do it? 
He did it to show his righteousness at the present time, Paul says. So now, in light of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, how do we, as Christians, relate to the law? How do we relate to the Ten Commandments? When I was a kid, uh, our church handed out these uh, yard signs with the Ten Commandments. Maybe you also uh, enjoyed that. Um, so uh, so we, we, pick up, we pick up these Ten Commandments and, and you, you just jab it right in your yard and, and then everything's good in your community. Uh, and so, because people just need to know that they exist, right? You just need to see that there are Ten Commandments and then everything goes well. Uh, that's sarcasm. Uh, so, so I had a friend, though, ask me, why? Why are you doing this? Why, are you all, why does your church, all, you all have the Ten Commandments in your yard? And to be honest, I didn't, I, I just, I thought it was a good thing because it's in the Bible, like that's good, like so you should do that. But I didn't, I didn't have an answer. But really, what, what is the answer? What is the relationship for the Christian to the Ten Commandments? What is the relationship for the Christian to the law? Aren't you saved because of Jesus on the cross? Isn't that it? So what's, the, what's this whole deal with law stuff all the time? Law, law is irrelevant now, right? It's, it's bad. We got out of it. <laughs> no. No, that's, that's, not, that's not what happened. There's so many places that we could go to, to in, in the New Testament to explore this together. But with our, with our time, uh, I'd like for us to go to Galatians 3, which we read at the start. Um, I'll highlight a few things that we read from that. It's, it's in your worship guide. From verse 10, Paul says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So there's a curse. There is a curse. What is this curse that Paul is talking about? Well, first he's reminded us that we can't rely on works of the law to be right with God. He's reminding us that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short. He also reminds us that if we break one command, we've broken them all. That's repeated in James chapter 2. So we know that there's this problem. And then he says that there's this curse. And the righteous shall live by faith. And Christ redeemed us from the curse. But what is this curse? We see it in verse 10. The curse is reliance upon the law for right standing with God. The curse is relying upon the law for justification. It's not that the law is the curse. It's relying on the law that's the curse. Because that deal, me relying on the law, doesn't work. Me relying on how well I can keep the Ten Commandments to be right with God doesn't work. It didn't work for Israel. It's not going to work for me. It's not going to work for you. We can't rely on it like that. And when we try to rely on it, it's a curse because it just crushes us. We fall beneath the weight of the law because we do not keep it. So how do we relate to the law today? Just as Israel had to look at the law 
and simultaneously look at their sacrifice, so do we. We look at the law and the commands of God and we look to our sacrifice. We see God's commands and we see our failure to to perfectly obey and we look to our sacrifice. We look to Christ, the ultimate and final sacrifice. So as Israel had uh, the sacrificial system of of bulls and goats, and, and, and as these animal sacrifices were going, we see in Hebrews chapter 10 especially uh, this picture given of, of the priest continually offering these sacrifices, offering this atonement for sin, for God to just cover over it and be patient. But the author of Hebrews tells us that when Christ came and he gave of himself, and his own blood, that in that final and ultimate sacrifice, no more standing priest, but a seated king who sits at the right hand of God the Father. He is is seated because there are no more sacrifices to offer. And so we look at God's law and the perfect sacrifice, which liberates us Christ liberates us from this ceremonial law, those laws about food and clothing and and how we are unclean and and, and all these rules about cleanliness. That's why the foods are declared uh, free for all and and all those things in the New Testament. That's why why all these unclean, why the the lepers, they they are touched by Jesus himself. It's because he makes the unclean clean. He makes the unholy holy. He makes the unrighteous righteous. And in this, he fulfills the law, really in two ways. One, he obeyed it perfectly. He obeyed the law perfectly. He did everything that the Father asked of him. And he fulfilled the law as sacrifice. That that pure spotless sacrifice, that that atonement that we needed. He he fulfills the law in, in both obedience and as our atonement. And then he goes and he furthers the law. How does he further the law? He furthers the law in us. Where he says it's not just the outside, don't murder someone. It's don't hate them in your heart. It's not just adultery to be physically with someone. It's to look at them with lust. He takes and he furthers the law in us. And he says it's more and it's deeper. And he makes this spiritual reality to the law really come to life. And he calls us to that. And he says that if you're going to abide in my love, if you're going to abide in me, you abide in my commands. So the question doesn't become, do we obey God's commands? That's clear. Yes, we obey God's commands. The reason is why. What are we relying on? Christ. Christ and only Christ. We do not rely on the works of the law. That's a curse. But we rely on Christ. And in this, he liberates us. He gives us this freedom to obey him. You see, the law is the will of God. No other gods before him. No idols. 
reverence, rest, love for neighbor, love for the church. And the love of Christ is our motivation to do the will of God. And God's grace is the freedom to do the will of God. We need his law, we we need his grace, we need his love that we might follow him. See, without his law, our love is just in the dark. We don't don't know where to go with it because there's a huge question in our culture of what is really loving. What's really loving? And without God's express commands of what he's calling us to, this way that Jesus walked in loving God and loving neighbor, this is how we know what to do with that love, to obey him. And he gives us grace to obey. And we have to keep our eyes on Jesus in all of this because if we only look look to grace and we neglect the commands, then we fall into lawlessness. But if we only look to the commands and we forget about his grace, then we fall into legalism. And God wants neither of those things for us. And so... We need his word and his spirit to write his law of love on our hearts. He does that in our time in his word. He does that in time of prayer. He does that when we gather together like this. He does it in our home groups as we gather all across the city to talk about his word, to pray for one another. This is how he writes that law of love upon our hearts. And we need it. We need it for things like Psalm 19 to be true. We need his work in our hearts and in our lives for this to possibly be true. Because what I want to, we're going to close here with, uh, with Psalm 19. I, I want to read it kind of over all of us. And, and here's what I want us to see. It could appear as though there's a huge disconnect between Galatians 3 that I opened up reading with and, and what I'm about to read. Unless we really dive deep into what we've journeyed through tonight. Unless we really dig deep into what we've talked about. So let's listen to these words from Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making, sim- making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Let's pray. Oh God, help us to rely upon Christ, that your words may be desired sweeter than honey, that we would obey you from our hearts, which is only possible when your spirit changes us, We thank you that we do not rely on the law, but rather we obey it in freedom and righteousness secured for us in Christ alone. 
We thank you for your word. And we ask now that you would write these truths on our hearts for our great joy and for your name. We pray these things. Amen.